Welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, the first show of 2022. My name is Don DiMuccio, and it's great to be back here with all of you following my two-week suspension for overusing the word throbbing on the air. I've learned my lesson, and in the future will limit myself to the words engorged, undulating, or simply the T word. I want to remind everybody that if you like the content that we strive to bring you, you know, whenever I get around to it, you can show your support by subscribing to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. This week, we have with us one of the great songwriters and vocalists of the rock era, Mr. Alan Clark. Now, the harmonies that he and his boyhood friend and bandmate Graham Nash created were an unmistakable trademark of the legendary British invasion band, The Hollies. Throughout the 60s and 70s, they enjoyed huge worldwide success, charting with lighthearted pop gems like Bus Stop to the hard-driving classic rock standard, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. I don't think any fan of rock and roll would have trouble singing along to any of these Hollies classics. Bus Stop, wet day, she's there, I say, be shell my umbrella. Temperature is rising, sweating from my brow Like a snake, her body fascinates me I can't look away now Stop, stop, stop all the dancing Give me time to breathe I still love you more than ever I'm sorry, Suzanne, forever hurting you You know I never wanted to his childhood friend Graham Nash, today's guest was co-founder and vocalist for one of the most revered bands to emerge from the British invasion, The Hollies. 
They have trademark harmonies and then worldwide success with transatlantic hits like Bus Stop, Carrie Ann, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, and the classic rock standards, The Air That I Breathe, and Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. He's additionally had a prolific solo career, and in 2010 was honored along with his fellow bandmates by being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Please welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, one of the great voices of the rock era, Alan Clark. Good morning, Mr. Clark. How are you? Good, good morning, Lonnie. I'm fine, thanks. Thank you for that introduction there. Well, it's all true. <laughs> okay, if you think so. Uh, <laughs> and a few yeah, so, people think so, too. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm still here, and I'm still doing things. Well, I had read that you'd been somewhat retired from the music business, uh, but you did release a great album in 2019 called Resurgence. And uh, you don't strike me as someone who just kind of sits around and waits for the royalties to roll in. You seem like a no. pretty active guy. So how you been keeping up and keeping busy during this lockdown and the whole pandemic thing? Well, I, I hadn't done anything for a number of years because, you know, I mean, it is common knowledge that I actually gave up the business back in uh, 2000. Well, you know, it was 20 years ago, 22 years ago for, for numerous things. You know, I, my, my throat, my vocal cords had given up and uh, my, my wife. Jenny had got cancer for the second time, so our future was quite uncertain. Um, so we decided that we'd just spend the time with each other, hoping that um, you know things were going to go great for us. Mm-hmm. My wife is still with me; uh, it's now fifty-eight years we've been married. God so, bless you. you. Know, I, <laughs> I feel very lucky with having her for that long. Uh, and when COVID actually came in, like three, three about three years ago, um, nobody was able to go out, even myself. So I decided that maybe I should try and write some music again. Uh, so I, I started writing poetry and showed it to a few friends. They liked what I was doing and said, you should put this to music. Uh, so uh, what I did, I went to my computer and I noticed there was a little thing on it called GarageBand, mm-hmm. which, uh, which had been there for the last 10 years there, sitting staring at me. Uh, so I opened it up and uh, my son Toby, who teaches music, came up from a uh, from, from London and showed me how to sort of get back into making music by using GarageBand. And, and that was the start of me writing uh, for an album uh, without me knowing whether it was going to go anywhere or not. But a, a friend of mine, Hartwig Messup from BMG, uh, came along and said, I'd like to release the album. And, and he did that for me. And as you said, it was, um, it was a great success. And, uh, and I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I mean, I've even put my guitar down even now to speak to you, Donnie. But, you know, things are really going well for a, a, an album that I'm doing with my old friend, Graham Nash. That is exciting news. Now, what's the yeah. f- is it his album, your album? It- it's our album. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I came in contact with Graham about, uh, about four years ago. Where I was got, in secret, I was going to give him uh, a, a Lifetime's Achievement Award. And uh, it was done in secret. So when I actually walked on stage and, and, and presented it to him, there was a few tears in his eyes and things like that. And he said to me, I think we should get back together and do something. I've, I've missed you. Uh, so from that point, uh, we were in touch with each other about when we were going to start it. And, and after he heard my, the album that I did, Resurgence, he says, yeah, come on, let's do it. Let's start writing. And, and obviously with everybody else, we were doing from, uh, from one Mac to another Mac, yeah. uh, sending each other lyrics and songs. And that started about a year ago. And we now have the 12 songs for the album. Um, we've, co- we've not co-written any of these, 
because you know when Graham in in the in the past when we started writing stuff, we just lock ourselves in a room with our guitars and just go at it. And uh, with not being in the room with me with him, it was very difficult for us to work on a concept of working together. Right. So we we've done our own individual tracks, and uh, Graham has let me sing all his songs. His harmonies still sound great, and uh, it's like we he never left the Hollies. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. How do you? I mean, you've done the analog method, obviously, for many, many years, and you're doing the digital one. Do you prefer one to the other? Does one see? I mean, obviously, digital is easier, but you, you miss the old ways of doing things. Well, you know, when we first went down to, uh, it wasn't Abbey Road when we first went down there. It was uh, in my recording studio. I mean, you mustn't forget that they were only on four track, uh, so you know, recording stuff wasn't that difficult. All you had to do was just set the drums up, get an amp, two guitars, a bass. And, well, let me tell you this. When we went down there, we did our own first album in an afternoon. Right. So um, it was very easy in those days to do that sort of thing. Uh, but as, as you've known, you know, as, as things progressed, and they went from four track to six track to eight track. And now, as I know, working on garage bands, you can have as many, many tracks as you want. Right, uh, but I, I've got to actually control myself when I'm actually doing it now. Is is not to do too many tracks because you know you can overfill things. Sure, uh, but I think it's great that you don't really have to go into a, a, into a studio and and work there for five hours to maybe get one track done because there's five other people there with you. Right, right. And I'm working with Graham this way has has been so it's been so good, you know, because it's instant. You know, you get an idea and you send it across the pond and it, and it comes back within, well, obviously, the time change. But, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we're, com- we're communicating daily about everything. Where are you located now? Um, I'm, I'm living in a place called Tiringham, which is very, very nice. It's in parkland and we have deer roaming around. And there's cows and there's sheep and things like that. So, you know, and it's, it's a very sort of relaxed place to live in. How does that um, contrast to where you were brought up? <laughs> oh that's a long story that is a long story i'm hoping to write a book about that oh you should I mean, you know i think the first five chapters is going to be what my life was like living in a house that only had like three bedrooms uh and we had my grandma living in the front room and i had four sisters and a brother and my mom and dad in three bedroom terraced house oh. with a backyard and a toilet outside so yeah <laughs> it wow. was, but i yet me i i knew nothing about being poor or anything like that my childhood was really happy yeah my parents were great speaking of which do you remember the first time you heard rock and roll yes i i, I do uh but you know i mean i'm sure that you know m- many of the interviews that we did that you know people ask us what turned us on to music really uh, and it was Lonnie Donegan. Um, sure. And I'm sure, yes, Skiffle was the thing, but they came in. And, you know, it, it meant that kids could buy guitars. Graham and I were fortunate, that, you know, that our parents did buy us guitars. And it was very easy to learn three chords. And, you know, all those uh, those American songs that Lonnie Donegan did, like Rock Island Line and, mm. and, and Cumberland Gaps, you know, Bring a Little Water, Sylvie. Graham and I, you know, we, we learned all those. And and actually, one of the the tunes that Graham's written for us is 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 like he's telling he's telling a story of how we actually got in touch with rock and roll through the first time that I think it was Bill Haley. Now I never liked Bill Haley. I I was more into the uh, to the old guys like Gene Vincent and Jerry Lee Lewis, Eddie Cochran, you know all those guys. Sure. That, that that to me that was rock and roll. 
And uh, we and Graham had been performing music, even like uh, who, who were 14 when we got together doing Skiffle. And, and it wasn't until the late 50s that rock and roll came on the scene. And, and that blew everybody's minds, you know. And it was just a wonderful thing to be around at that time. And then going into the early 60s when, you know, we got into the Beatles coming on the scene. So, but I'm still a rocker. I, yeah. I, love, I love my rock and roll. Long distance information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Help me find a body, try to get in touch with me. She did not leave a number, but I know a place to call. My uncle took the message and he wrote it on the wall. I know it's an old story, but there's always someone out there who hasn't heard it yet. How did you guys come to form the Hollies, and how did the name come about? Well, Graham and I were in a lot of groups. You know, we, we did actually uh, pride ourselves on uh, being what was called the Edley Brothers of Manchester. Mm. Uh, we, we even called ourselves Ricky and Dan Young at one time. Uh, and we did actually meet the Edley Brothers very early on, in, in not in our career, but when we were kids. We went to see them in Manchester when they were playing there. And we went and stood outside the hotel called the Midland Hotel. We were there for about two hours and it was raining and we, we more or less gave up. And then all of a sudden the Everly Brothers were walking up to us and they stayed and they chat to us for about, you know, half an hour. And it was really wonderful. But, you know, we weren't famous or anything like that. But later on, we did join. People wanted us to be in their band. So we became a rock and roll band. Yeah, like like the, like the Beatles and everybody else, and we were doing the rounds of uh, around Manchester and Liverpool, doing the cabin like everybody else. Right, uh, and then lucky enough for us, you know, uh, along came the Beatles when they first recorded their first number, "Love Me Do," which went just crazy. Uh, and you know, we were at a club. I think it was nineteen. What date was it? Well, it's sixty years ago. It's sixty years. So sixty-two. <laughs> sixty-two. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That was it. A club called the Oasis. The Oasis, yeah. Uh, and uh, we just formed this new this new band, and we didn't have a name. And it was it was more or less coming up to Christmas. Uh, we went into you know went down the club. And the guy says, "What are we going to call you this time?" So of course you know there was a lot of holly around, and and you know Graham and I did like Buddy Holly. And the first thing that came out in my mind was is instantly said, "Well, call us the Hollies, maybe just for tonight." And yeah. that was it. Then the Beatles came along and everybody that was in London that was a producer or at a record label wanted someone to be, you know, just the same as the Beatles. Right. So I feel I feel very lucky uh, for being in the right place at the right time. Was that Ron Richards? Ron Richards. He came to the cabin and saw us and said, right, we'll come down to the recording studios and we'll see if you've got what it takes. Well, <laughs> well, we did. And the next year, 1963, we started making records. Just to backtrack a little, you mentioned the Beatles, you mentioned the Cavern. Did you guys have any kind yeah. of personal relationship with them? Oh, we, we, yeah, we knew each other. We, there was always this story going around, you know, that we, we didn't speak to each other and things like that. But, you know, that was unreal. I mean, those days, you know, groups, groups got together. Uh, when you toured, you were on a bus with uh, the Rolling Stones or Dave Clark Five and things right. like that. Uh, we never toured with the Beatles, but we did play in certain gigs when they were there at the same time. And of course, you know, how could you not be friends with four guys like that? 
And uh, we, we were always coming in and out of the studios, you know, seeing what each one was doing and things like that until when, when they got the Sgt. Pepper's album. As they were doing that, there was a bit of secrecy about that. Right. Uh, but no, there was never any contention between us at all. I'd heard in an interview with Graham where he said basically that the trademark Holly's vocal sound didn't start in earnest until your guitar player, Tony Hicks, began singing harmony with you guys. Do you agree with that assessment? <laughs> no, no, I don't agree with that at all. Okay. No, no. I mean, okay, it was, it was a part, I think, that came in that Ron Richards says, well, you, you have to get a, maybe a bass harmony on this. And I must admit, right from the start, it was very difficult for Tony to get involved with, with actually singing that low harmony. So where Graham and I, like, we, we can go into a room and we'll play a song and instantly when I start singing, Graham will harmonize with me, like, perfectly. Yeah. Uh, so when Tony came in, we sort of had to give him uh, a few lessons um, to do this and to do that. But when he finally got it, then, then it was okay. And you mentioned that first album for Polyphone, Stay With The Hollies. Yeah. What a great record. There's some very cool covers on that. Well, basically, those were the sort of tunes that we used to do on stage, like everybody else. You know, I mean, luckily enough, there was all in the, in the, in the late 60s, uh, you know, there were people where I was, it was the Manchester Ship Canal and all the boats that came in. There was, there was guys that had been to America and bought records. And when they brought them over, you know, they, they were passing them around for people to listen to. And then luckily enough, they started getting played on the radio. So, you know, we sort of emulated all that stuff that we were hearing that came over via merchant ships and things like that. And, and I'm sure that if you speak to anybody else, they will say the same thing. You guys covered Dr. Feelgood's uh, Mr. Moonlight before the Beatles did. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, I think we did a lot of things before the Beatles did. But, but let's face it, they were the most famous group in the world. You came to me one summer night And from your baby made my dream Well, let me tell you now And from the world you sent my girl And from above you sent love Now she's mine I think you're fine Because she loves you Walking into EMI for that first time. Yeah. What are your initial memories of that? I mean, it had to be. Was that your first time in a studio? Of course. I mean, Graham and I had been in, in a local recording booth and, and done things like that, but nothing to go into a studio. And it was the, it was the number one studio that we went into with the long staircase, which right. is the famous one. Yeah. And to be in, in a space where people were saying to you, well, why don't you give, give us what you do? Just play anything. Uh, the only thing that we could do was to do what we did on stage, which again was very easy because the recording techniques then were only four track. I think Buddy actually did the first thing where he would overdub things, right? You know, by bouncing, you know, which was it, which was great later on, which meant you know you could play a tambourine and sing at the same time. Yeah, right, but right. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, it was very exciting. I gave up my job. Which was? I didn't, well, I didn't give up my job until we'd actually been accepted by EMI. Uh, but my job at that time, I was working in a cotton mill. I was a, a, a jackhard cutter. Um, I was a cook carrier. I was there for about two and a half years. 
and I I was there when I actually closed it down myself. <laughs> I closed the mill down. But uh, I, was the, I, I was the only person that could unhook the uh, the jackards from, oh, the, from the looms. So there you go. There you go. But from there, I went to the recording studio, and then they let me rang and they said, "Okay, you've passed. You know, we've right. got some stuff now. The Hollies are going to be out on record next year." And you guys had a lot of success in England, but it seems that, like a lot of the British bands, the Who, even the Beatles themselves and the Stones, America took a little longer. And I think your first trip here was in 65. Yeah, it was about that time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Bloodstock was the first one that, that got the Americans interested. You mustn't forget that when the Beatles hit big, they hit big, and they hit big in America. So I think that most Americans were very interested in English groups, but not en masse. You know, America right. is a big place, and you've got a lot of radio stations that play a lot of stuff. So to be accepted there, I suppose, you know, being Manchester lads like the Beatles were, people were curious. But I think the big thing was when Bus Stop came out, and it was a huge hit. So that gave us the opportunity to come over to America right. and tour there. What I had heard, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that your first gig, at least one of the first gigs, April 65 was a package tour with King Curtis, the Exciters, and uh, Little, and Little, Richard, <laughs> Little was, Richard. Yeah, sure. Something went down that night? It was a cinema. We got to New York. We were very excited, you know, and we got to the hotel and we went to the place the next day to do a rehearsal. And we found out that it was a, it was a picture house. Uh, I think it was called the Astoria. I think they pulled it down now. Uh, but, you know, there, there was the headline on the tour. There's a guy called Soupy Sales oh. who, 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 yeah, he, he had a number one record. And, and, you know, Little Richard didn't like that. So, you know, he kept, he kept shouting, I'm the king of rock and roll. Uh, but, you know, we, we only did like two numbers uh, on stage. I mean, King Curtis band was absolutely fabulous. Mm -hmm. And we did two songs. Then, you know, when the show finished, they showed a film. And then it just repeated itself again. And I think it was nine shows a day. Uh, but in the time that we were there, I mean, watching Little Richard on band, unbeknown to us that uh, the guitar player of the band was going to become one of the biggest guitarists in the world. And you know who that oh, is. Yes. The, the things like that appear in your life and you go, wow, how lucky I was, I was there to be, uh, to be a part of that. I think he was named Jimmy James back then. That's, that was like a stage name. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy James. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But Hendrix sounds better. Uh, exactly right. And little Richard yeah. got his soul. Never let anyone forget no. that he discovered No, <laughs> No, he I, he actually got thrown off the show. For, he, he was being a bit of a pest uh -huh. uh, to the people. And, and I think that maybe Soupy had, had said something. And he was thrown off the show. But little and Richard, I, he hit someone or assaulted. There was an article at the time. Well, we didn't see that, but that particular evening, yeah. I do remember uh, Gra uh, Graham and I, we were with the lift, you know, we see him in in, in old American films where it's, it's a wire lift, you can see straight into it, things right. like that. Right. And, and we, were, we were looking over the balcony as the lift was going down, and, and, and there, the both of them, and I think it might, it might have been Jimmy that was with him, with uh, two policemen holding guns to his head. Oh. Uh, Telling him that if he didn't shut his whatever mouth, did they say that he'd blow his brains out? And and we were very surprised about that. But uh, there you go, things like that used to happen. Yeah, you don't see London Bobbies acting like that. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> no. But thank God, <laughs> thank God. That was eye opening. You know, oh yeah. We thought, crikey, we you know fancy doing that to one of our idols, like one of the greatest rock and roll players. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in the world, and they didn't really have any respect for him at all. Right. 
like you said, Bus Stop was the one that really burst you guys into the American scene. In yes, it did. But right yeah. before the session, you lost your bass player. What happened? Um, well, the bass player, um, I, I think he was probably going to have a nervous breakdown of some kind. Um, he, he refused to actually come out and play with us. You know, I think it was like political within the group, some sort of stuff that I didn't really want to get involved with. Mm. I was a guy that sang, you know, with the band and, and all, the, all the business type of it was done by other people. So, I, you know, I didn't really get involved. But I was very sad that he did leave, uh, but it was his choice, you know, and uh, well, he, he wasn't on bus stop. Yeah, but then when we came over to America, uh, it was Tony and Bobby that I actually knew about Bernie because they were all in the same group together called the Dolphins. Yeah, he was around at the time, so he says, okay, I'll join. And he was with us for quite a long time. Good bass player. And then mm. Carrie Ann, number nine in the U.S. charts. <laughs> Again, Carrie Ann. You know, it's one of the three of us got together one day. Well, actually, the story is I was doing a television show, and I think it was the Tom Jones show, TV. Mm. And and I was walking down the corridor, and I heard I heard these these. It was, it was absolutely Graham and and, and Tony uh, doing what I thought was going to be. Oh, that, that sounds really good. I better get in there quick. Uh, so I did, and I got in there just in time to be at right the the, the middle eight, which is just so like a woman to me. Uh, so it was nice to be on that tune with them. Yeah, and it was big all around the world. Interesting things happening in that song. I mean. Who the hell used steel drums back then in a rock and roll song, you know? That was a guy on on a street corner that they saw and they and they dragged him into the studio and said, Can you play steel drums on, on this song? And, yeah. and he did. Uh, when we did it on stage, we didn't really know how to get the steel We actually had a recording of the steel drums, which we used to adapt within to the song. And people were quite surprised when it sort of came in when we were singing it. In those days, that it must have been a nightmare if his song was a little fast to start with or something. And, no, know, he, that was all down to Bobby. If he made a mistake, then that was his fault. Not ours. <laughs> <laughs> sure, blame the drummer. I know how that goes. Yeah. Um, and being a singer standing in front of a drummer for all those years is not, is not a nice thing. I mean, yeah, I've got tinnitus and things like that, you know, but yep. uh, it was worth getting that for what I did. You guys were always in some way or another experimental. You never just did the same thing over like all the great bands. You were always trying different things in the studio. And the albums Evolution and Butterfly, they were a bit of a departure from the original sound. It was flower power, wasn't it? You know, right, they, right. Everybody, everybody was wearing caftans and everybody wanted, wanted to go over to San Francisco. So it was a turnaround uh, within the music that, you know, the, the type of songs that you were actually singing or writing uh, had to be in tune of the feeling around at that time. Uh, and, I, you know, I, and, and a part of that was Sgt. Pepper's. I mean, when they recorded that album, everybody thought, my God, you know, how are we going to better that? Uh, so, yeah, they, they set a sort of precedent there that we all thought was maybe unsurmountable. But, yeah, we did. We, we got through it. You know, I think Butterfly was one of our albums that we tried to put the flower feeling on. That was Graham's idea to, to, to go that way. 
but unbeknownst to me at that particular time, it was also within Graham's uh, head that he really wanted to go out and be on his own. And on the album, it's when we actually started putting our own names on our own songs. So that was a different thing between us as well. Dear Eloise was a beautiful song. Yeah. Well, when I first started writing that, uh, what I had in, in my mind, it was going to be a, 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 a quite a, a heavy song. I'm writing a letter to make you feel better. Mm. Sorry to see you. And and it was Dear Eloise that Graham put on the front of it. Don't know whether you've seen the uh, I have the, 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 where he's writing the letter in a yep. park. You know? Yep. Well, you know, well that 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 was Graham's idea to put that into the song, and it fitted. It fitted. You know, two songs fit. in one. Yeah, like a day in the life. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> but not. But yeah. Okay. No, I wouldn't say it was. No, no, not not in a million years. But you know, that's funny because again, it's 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 commercially viable as anything else you guys ever did. But it wasn't the big gangbuster hit that. That the no. company probably would have wanted. No, we never really got as big as we should have done on the stage, really. Uh, and it could have been down to management. It could be down to a lot of other things. And you know, we don't really know why. But you know, you have to you have to face that. And then off the heels of that, you wrote Jennifer Eccles, which is completely well, different. <laughs> Graham didn't like us not having a hit with um, King Bidders mm. because what you know, Graham was in charge of that, and and what he did, he he tried everything he could to make it be a standard hit you know as big as what anything that the beatles had done right. and even well even ron richards our, our producer he said no i don't think this is going to be a hit graham i don't think we should put this out but they did and you know when you say it wasn't a hit made number 15 in the charts yeah and, i mean it's not shabby yeah but i mean it, it disappointed graham yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty disappointed, you know, because I wanted him to be right about it. Uh, and I remember the, the, the night we, we all got together and, and Jenny was with my wife and, uh, and Graham's wife, Rose. We, we were sat in his apartment uh, and we says, well, there you go. It's, that's not worked. What should we do? So we decided that we'd really write a silly song. And, <laughs> and the four of us finished it uh, called Jennifer Records because my wife, Jenny, and Graham's wife was Eccles. That was her maiden name. Mm. And uh, we did Jennifer Eccles. We went in and recorded it. And <laughs> to Graham's dismay, it made number two. Boy, there's something very cynical about that. It, it is, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a commercial record. That's what the Hollies did, you know. And the people went, oh, there they are. They're back again. White job, written on red brick. Our love, told in a heart. Drawn in the playground Love, kiss, hate or adore I love Jennifer Eccles I know that she loves me I love Jennifer Eccles I know that she loves me And then Graham, I think, then decided at that particular time it was time for him to leave. Well, talk about that. I don't want to say how did that feel. I'm sure it didn't feel good at all. But I mean, what were the circumstances surrounding literally him leaving and you finding out? Well, you know, I'm not really going to go into that in, in, in a personal way, but I was I was pretty devastated. Um, that there was a feeling that something was up. You know, uh, Graham was was very restless, and uh, and I knew he that he was he was going to America quite a lot, and um, he was getting himself involved. 
I, I do remember being in in uh, in Los Angeles, the Whiskey A Go Go, and I remember that we did a I think we did a show there. Or we anyway we were in Los Angeles, and I remember when we went back to the hotel, there was me, Grant, and David Crosby, and Stephen Stills, and and I'd I'd met Steve before that uh, with, through the Buffalo Springfield. And I remember when they came to me in a club and said, will you come and listen to our album? We're like, you know, see what you think of it. Uh, I went to their their hotel and uh, they actually put me in a cupboard, would you believe, with two speakers. <laughs> and as they closed the boat, there was a lot of smoke going in. And you know what that smoke was. And I wasn't used to that. But when I came out, I was just high as a kite. <laughs> and to this day, my most favorite song is Expecting to Fly by Neil Young. Mm. And, and then I met Stephen, obviously, after that. And, and I think the three of them at that particular night bonded. And I think that that was the beginning of Graham really thinking about it seriously. And he did it very quietly. How did you feel the first time you heard Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? Uh, well, I knew it was going to be good because there's three of my favorite bands there. The, 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 that trio couldn't fail. Mm. They couldn't fail. I mean, it, it just could not fail. And, and the stuff that came out of there, the Deja Vu album and all that, I mean, it was completely brilliant. I mean, Deja Vu is one of my favorite albums. Me too. I mean, yeah. he, Graham deserved everything that he got out of that group. And, and I think he was the mainstay of them keeping together for, for that length of time. Because I'm pretty sure that a lot of things that went on that, uh, that would have broken the group up if it wasn't Graham being. Right. But yet the Hollies, right on the heels of him leaving, pretty much, you had a hit single, Sorry Suzanne. So there must have been a yeah. sense of satisfaction. It's only human. <laughs> well, I, 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 I wasn't ringing him up saying, hey, you know, you shouldn't let blah, 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 because <laughs> I know he was never going to return. Right. But, I mean, he has said himself that he was very surprised, that he he never said that he thought in his head that when he left, we wouldn't have a career. Right. But, but I decided that, you know, he's not the lead singer, I'm the lead singer, so let's see what happens in the future for us. And luckily enough for us, like Sorry Suzanne was, was in the right frame of mind for the, what the people really wanted. Right. You know, and then when Terry Sylvester, who I thought, you know, he filled Graham's position fabulously, I, his voice and mind just melded together, mm -hmm. uh, if not as good as Graham, you know. Different, uh, just different. Diff it was different, but he, he's a great harmonizer, as good as Graham, I, sure. I think. But I, I won't put him above that, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he became a friend. We palled out quite a lot. And then when the air uh, that I breathed came along, and I mean, he, he soared in that with me. Uh, and he, he and Heavy, those two great hits that people would, would never think that the Hollies would do stuff like that. Uh, the Every Brothers came back into our life at that particular time because it was Phil that actually recorded that song first. Uh, right. And I heard it, I heard his album and took it into the guys and said, we should do this. And, you know, that happened. And I think it, actually the other I breathed was the last hit we had in 1974. He ain't heavy. That was co-written by uh, Bob Scott, who also wrote A Taste of Honey. I'm not mistaken. That's right. Bob Scott and Bob Russell. And Bob yeah. Russell. Uh, Bob Russell died was, only well, a year after you guys had the hit with it. Yeah, he did. And, you know, I, th I, I think the story is that his wife sent a letter saying, thank you for making that such a hit because it helped to pay for, you know, obviously for, for, for his hospital fees and things like that, uh -huh. which, which we're glad, we were glad. Of course, you of course. Know. But, you know, but what, you know, a great song, great lyrics, you know, and it was a song that had a message for everybody. And, and a certain and piano player on it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> little Reggie Dwight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he came on the scene as, a, you know, just a session musician to start with, and he played on a couple of our songs. Uh, 
he became involved with Dick James. I mean, we did have him on our publishing uh, for a while, yeah. and then Dick James stole him, <laughs> <laughs> and and then he's and then he started writing hits. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've got songs of Elton's which uh, he would never record them, I'm sure. But um, there they are. We have them in our publishing company, just gathering dust. I want to talk about Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress, which you co-wrote. Sure. Recorded yeah. at Air Studios? No, no. Oh, oh. yes, we did. No, oh. wait a minute. Yes, we did. Okay. Yes. No, I, I, was, I thought you said, where did we write it? Uh, Roger Cook, he said, to, he said to me one day, we should write some stuff, you know, because, you know, I, I know you're a bit of a rock and roller. So we got together in uh, this part, this part lane where the, the air offices were. And we went down into where the piano was and... Uh, uh, actually, uh, Roger pulled out a ukulele, <laughs> and and I actually had my 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 Fender Strat with me down there. And he said, "Well, you know, I've, ju I've just started this song called Long Cool Woman." I said, "That's a great title." And he says, "Well, let's have a drink." So we had we had a bottle of brandy there, and and about three quarters of an hour later, uh, Long Cool Woman was written. And and I thought, oh, well, that's a great song. At that time, we were recording in our studios. So I took the song along. I sort of practiced the guitar for a week before I actually took it to the boys, but went to the studio and I'd, I'd written this riff at the beginning and I played it to them and they said, oh yeah, that'd be great. It's an album cover. We'll put it on the album. I thought, right, okay. I said, well, let's, let's start recording it. Tony said to me, well, you play the guitar, so you play it. There was myself, there was Bernie Calvert and Bobby Elliott and we put down the basic track. Tony came along and, and he did guitars on the top of that as well. Uh, and then I did the vocal in two takes. Uh, so the whole thing probably took about an hour and a half to record. Ron Richards wasn't the producer on that. The engineer that was there put some slap echo on it. And we said, right, there's an album track. Well, there was no thought of that being put out as a single at all. Mm. And, and it wasn't until I actually uh, left the Hollies well, I didn't actually leave the Hollies. I said I wanted to record an album on my own. And they said, well, if you do that, you'd have to leave. So at that particular time, I was writing a lot of good stuff with Roger and, and, and other people. And I thought, well, I've got to give it a try. Who said you had to leave? <laughs> Why? Well, that was t Tony and Bobby. Really? Yeah. Well, well, you know, I think they thought that Graham did the same thing. Uh, you know, and uh, there may be no way that, you know, that if I got a solo hit on my own, then I'd be out on my own and leave them, which mm. wasn't in my mind at all. Yeah. All I wanted to do was to get a few of my friends, a few musician friends, go, go into a studio and make an album, which I did later on. Right. But, hey, you know, I mean, I was away for two and a half years, and then Tony came and said, we can't do without you, will you rejoin? And I said I didn't want to leave in the first place. So, you know, but in two and a half years, I had two or three albums that I released and, and I had a really good time. But going back to Long Cool Woman, yeah. the, the album the album was, was released in America and, and I'd left the Hollies and I got a phone call off um, a guy called uh, Freddie Beanstalk, uh, who was a big publisher in New York, saying you wanted to, to publish this song called Long Cool Woman. And I said, well, wh why just that one song? And he said to me, it's racing up the charts and you need someone to look after it for you. And, and I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. But it, re it reached number two, you know. And the, I think the only place it wasn't a hit was England. Did I hear that John Fogarty sued you over that? No, no. I've seen that reported a couple, three times. <laughs> well, it never got to me. I'm glad to no, hear that. it never got to me. I think there was a thing about the riff, you know. I mean, when I wrote it, uh, 
I, I, I more or less did it out of my head, you know, and I thought, well, that's a, that's a good beginning of the song. And then I think people started talking about they, 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 there, was a, there was a song going around uh, which which has similar things in it, which, you know, I, I, I hadn't heard that at all. I mean, I just put that down thinking that's a riff and put it on the front of a tune called Long Cool Woman. Now, I, I think that a lot of people were saying when that came out with the Hollies that they could be the next revival. Maybe he got a bit touchy about that. I, I see. Know. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, he was he was never presented to me at B. I don't, I don't even remember anybody serving me papers. Like How do these stupid much. rumors start? You know, that's why people got to be I careful. Got to be careful what you read. You have, you have, in yeah. lots of ways. How did you come to sing on the Alan Parsons project album, I Robot? Alan was doing his recordings in Abbey Road and I was I was with the Hollies doing my recordings in there and he came down one day, he said, Alan, I want you to come up here and listen to this song. So I went up there and he said, will you sing it? I said, sure. I said, well, just leave it with me for a day. So I went the next day and I sang it and that became one of the songs on iRobot. And it's quite a cult song. It's a great song. Uh, it's a great it's a breakdown. I enjoyed singing it. Have you ever done it live? No. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't get it into a Holly show. Yeah, that's yeah, true, <laughs> no, true, true. No, I'm doing something like that. It's a hit. You know, they, they usually shy away from sort of praising me for things like that. Yep. I did do. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're just talking about rumors and things like that. And online, something that rock pioneers didn't have to deal with years ago. Um, I guess you had tabloids, but things have a life of their own. And I know the chatter went crazy after you guys did the 2010 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the performance. Where yeah. It, kind of appeared that there might have been some onstage friction between yourself and Terry. And rather um, than letting other people say the narrative, can you clear that one up? Well, let's put it this way. I mean, I wasn't going to do Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I didn't think that I'd be able to carry it vocally. Graham and I talked about that at long length, and he says, Al, you've got to do it. We've got to do it together. You know, our group has got to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You, you shouldn't miss out on this. So what I did, I said, okay. He said, well, don't worry about it. I'll get something fixed up so that when you come here, you won't worry about every, anything. Uh, when I did get there and I found out that it wasn't just me and Graham, Tony and Bobby didn't come because they said they were working. Uh, but Eric Haydock did, Bernie Calvert did, and, uh, and Terry. Terry and I had fell out about something which, you know, uh, it, it was something bizarre. I don't mm. know why. Mm. And somebody said to me, you don't really want to go near, not in a good mood. So I did keep away from him because mm. I just wanted to, I put myself on the stage and sing this song. Yeah. Now, when I actually walked in the day to do the, uh, the, the recordings and, uh, and, and, and there was the lead singer of Maroon 5 and the lead singer of Train. And, and I thought, well, who are these guys? And Graham said, they're going to help us sing it. Then I, I stopped worrying straight away so i rehearsed with them the, the the three songs and i didn't see the any of the other guys at all until the night when we went on stage and then i sang with the graham doing uh, the bus stop and then actually a funny story because the band that's on there the guitarist in there they actually said to me we can't play the intro to long cool woman can you just please show us how to do it so i that's why i got the guitar and, and what they were missing out was just a, just a little flick that i put in which 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 clips it onto another note, yeah. And and when they when they actually saw that, they went, "Oh, that's easy." I said, "Well, you wouldn't have known that." That's so, right. So yeah, anyway, it's easy, now. Yes, <laughs> it's easy now. So then I put my guitar on and we started doing "Long Cool Woman," and halfway through, Terry came across and he took the mic off uh, the lead singer of Train, 
and started singing Lumpo Woman. Mm. Now, Terry wasn't on Lumpo Woman. He didn't sing it and right. he didn't play on it. And I thought it was an affront to actually take a microphone of someone else and start sing singing a song that he wasn't on. So I just went up to him and took the mic off him and gave it back sure. to the guy who was supposed to sing it. Right. And and that was it. That's all. That's And I just went back singing it on my own mic. And that was that. Makes perfect sense. No, I, I didn't hear anything from Terry afterwards. Uh, so I probably he was probably upset, but I think that needed to be done. You got the new album with Graham coming out. Uh, any release yeah. date set for that? No, no, we, we're still working on the album. I, I just finished the last vocal of uh, Graham's, one of Graham's songs. So now we're actually getting we're into mixing now. Uh, we do have a label that's very interested, but uh, I, uh, you know, I don't really want to say anything at the moment. Except but, that but, my autograph copy will be uh, on the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's okay. That'll work. Yeah. Are you going to be pressing it on vinyl? I hope, I hope. Uh, well, let's get to that. Let's get a deal <laughs> first. But I'm sure, I mean, vinyl is the thing now, isn't it? Everybody wants vinyl to collect it. You know? sure. Did you get my vinyl of the last album? No. <clears throat> ah, there you go. There you ah. go. Okay. Okay. I think I'll end it now. No. Um, no, no. No. So, yeah, I, 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 I you know, I, I do hope that people will throw the works at it. Do you ever see yourself on stage or even preferably in the studio again with Tony Graham and Bobby? No, no. Care to expound on why? Um, not really. Um, I, I I had a great time while I was with the Hollies. Um, they are now out uh, calling themselves the Hollies. Uh, there are four people on stage who I've never met and are complete strangers to me. So really, for me to go back and actually, no, no. I wouldn't be able to do that anyway vocally, so... No, there would be no chance of me doing that at all. But, you know, I, I, I give them my blessings to go out and do what they're doing, you know. Sure. No yeah. problem with them using the name? Was there any kind of hassle with that? Or uh, I, I own a third of the name. But, you know, the guys are out there. They're, they're making a living out of it. Yep. I mean, I don't I don't want to pretend, you know, surrender and say, sorry, you can't do that because I own a third of the name. I'm not on stage doing anything. So, no, I don't think it's my right. Maybe when Tony and Bobby leave and they try and go out as the Hollies, then maybe I'll say something. Anything anything I 
from 1974. That's the Hollies with the air that I breathe, featuring the vocals of Alan Clark, who I want to thank for being on the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. Be sure to keep an eye out for his and Graham Nash's new album, which marks the first time they've recorded together since 1983. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so online at www.itsonlyrockandrollpodcast.com or on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast. Typed out is all one word, no abbreviations or spaces, please. God, get it through your thick heads, huh? We'll be coming up with fresh new interviews from some incredible artists real soon, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. Thanks for listening to the It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast. I break down. Is it any wonder?